Hello, and welcome to episode 398 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan, as always, joined by Evan Silva. Today, we have a very, very special guest. You know him as the king of the New Orleans Saints beat. We know him as arguably, arguably, ETR's number one beat writer. It is, of course, Nick Underhill of NewOrleansFootball.com. Nick, thanks for doing the show. How's it going? Doing well. Uh, just happy to be here with arguably the the two best fantasy football writers. Arguably. Arguably. You know, I, I say arguably because I think we had a question about Michael Thomas Health and Evan pinged you and Nick was like gallivanting around Rome or something like that and couldn't <laughs> uh, couldn't get us a, an immediate response. I mean, we need an immediate response from ETR's number one beat writer. There was there was an escalation in the text. I, I wake up, you know, I'm seven hours ahead. There's an escalation. There's like by then, there's like f you. I'm never asking you anything again. So because <laughs> he because he got back to me at like three a.m. You know my time. Well, you got at me three a.m. my time. <laughs> oh boy, uh, Evan. Good afternoon. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good. I made some changes in the top one hundred and fifty last night. I'm going to start this change log here uh, momentarily. Um, but we have what seven days until veterans report mm -hmm. some rookies are showing up mm -hmm. and I mean shit's about to get real yeah I love the change log because you know it's one thing to just make changes in the rankings and we'll talk about them on the podcast and stuff like that but being able to see Evan's thought process behind changes in the top 150 is super valuable so we'll get that going soon we wanted to have Nick on today because I, I think and we think the same stuff is really worth zooming in on. I mean, there are a ton of questions around this team with key players coming off injury, with talented players facing suspension, with usage questions, with the coaching change. I mean, there's so much going on with the Saints. We're going to get into all that with Nick today. Before we get into it, I want to remind everyone this show is brought to you by our friends at Underdog Fantasy, undoubtedly the smoothest, highest stakes, best UX for anyone trying to play best ball use promo code ETR when you sign up for a hundred dollar matching deposit bonus and of course you can upload our rankings directly onto underdog if you desire also if you buy DraftKit pro which is 49.99 you do get ten dollars automatically in your underdog account whether you have an account or not all right uh I want to start here Nick and we'll get to the Alvin Kamara thing in a second but I just from a macro perspective I want to start here with the coaching stuff I mean Sean Payton after 15 years is no longer the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. Defensive-minded Dennis Allen takes over, which for fantasy purposes, I don't think affects us too much. Maybe you disagree. But Pete Carmichael will be the offensive coordinator. Pete Carmichael has been Sean Payton's right-hand man for, God, I, I guess the whole time. The whole time Sean Payton was there. What kind of transition in terms of scheme or anything else, any other changes you think will be different with Payton gone and Carmichael in? I don't think it's going to be that drastic. And honestly, when you say defensive-minded coach, I, I don't think it can dial back anymore. Jameis averaged 23 throws a game last year uh, during his starts. That number, everything they've done to me suggests that number is going to go up this year. It seems like they're going to be more wide receiver-based. You don't add Jarvis Landry, Chris Olave, get Mike Thomas back from injury and keep it kind of as tight as it was before. Um one of the changes I, I think we're going to see, and I've been hearing a lot of talk about this, is that they're probably going to do more based off of play action. That was something that other members of the coaching staff thought they should have did more of last year. And it just kind of stayed a little bit tight. And if you look at Jameis's numbers over the years, 
that's something that that he's really done well in uh, on those types of plays. And you know, uh, the other thing that I think is is going to be a little bit different is if you look at their one season with Pete Carmichael calling plays, twenty twelve, Sean Payton suspended. That was the first season in Saints history that they used eleven personnel on more than fifty percent of their snaps. Now, as it went on a little bit, when they had uh, Willie Sneed, Brandon Cooks, and Mike Thomas together for a year, they exceeded that number. But I think that was the only other time um, they were above that mark. So I think it's part of Pete Carmichael's DNA to kind of be more wide receiver heavy as opposed to two back looks, two tight end looks, maybe a little bit less fullback. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit more of an open offense. And I think that suits the personnel. I think it suits Jameis Winston. And like I said, I I just think we're going to see more than 23 pass attempts per game. So I think going forward, some of their offensive players are a little bit safer than they were a year ago. And again, like when you get Kenny Stills out of there and you get Mike Thomas or Jarvis Landry or Chris Olave, and it makes a little bit more sense to maybe up your pass attempts when you actually have adequate NFL wide receivers uh, populating your roster. Yeah, you, you mentioned that it could be a, a more wide receiver centric offense. I mean, if you look at like the whole depth chart sh- has like shifted down one. I mean, Marquez Callaway, Deontay Hardy, Traquan Smith, these guys are the second in line receivers now. They were the starters mm-hmm. last year. And now you have Michael Thomas back. It sounds like you're optimistic about his health and recovery. Uh, Chris Olave, I mean, he's going to be the the primary perimeter receiver, I would expect. And then Jarvis Landry, who they signed. I mean, Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas primarily run like in you know inside stuff and in breaking routes. And Chris Olave, I would expect to be the the perimeter receiver. Um, is, is that kind of how you envision things? Yeah, look, I mean, I think that's that's probably the big thing that, that has to change this year is is that in-breaking stuff and getting those targets over the middle area of the field. It was something that Jameis really didn't do last year. And those are, you know, kind of some of the plays that he's gotten in trouble on over the years, maybe not seeing linebackers over the middle of the field. And well, he was rehabbing the uh, the ACL injury, one of the things he talked about is just his inability to, to kind of throw the ball down the field. So as he was going through his stuff, he was kind of forced to focus on getting better at, at throwing some of that shorter area stuff, having a little bit of accuracy there. We'll see if that actually translates into anything. But I will say, like, out at minicamp, Jarvis Landry being out there, like, very quickly, like, slants and crossing routes, like, they're, they're connected on him. And these are plays that they weren't making a year ago. So I think having Landry and Mike kind of opens some of that stuff up a little bit. It, it's going to have to. And, yeah, I think Olave is going to be more the outside guy. And I think – We've seen six practices, so I don't want to draw any conclusions, but I kind of feel like the scouting reports on him were fairly accurate. Some of the stuff that, you know, people said were downs about him. I think we saw the positives were very clear. The route running is unbelievable. The way he just kind of moves athletically is a little bit different than, than some other guys. So I think that's a plus trait. But some of those contested passes, and this isn't even with pads on, but some of these plays that got a little bit physical, it's kind of like, man, you need to fight a little bit harder for for some of these passes. So we'll see how that progresses uh, throughout the summer, but I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being maybe their leading yardage guy, just because I think his game suits Jameis's strengths so well. And I think he's going to be able to get down the field. You're going to see some of those deep plays and and I wouldn't be surprised if he has a really good season. I, I wanted to throw one more thing about the coaching change at you guys and, and see if you agree. I thought Sean Payton was awesome at adapting his game plans to both his skill set, his team skills and the opponent skills. And that's not something that like you can carry over from coach to coach. I feel like that's something Sean Payton just like did really well. So I find myself thinking there's a little bit more fragility in the floor 
losing Sean Payton and putting in Pete Carmichael because I don't know that he's as capable as Sean Payton was at designing game plans to be effective for both his team and the defensive and, and who they're playing on defense. Are you following what I'm saying, Nick? Like I, I, Sean Payton was so good at that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's a there, there's some level of variance here that I don't know that we're gonna be able to know about until we actually get into the 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 thick of it. But I mean, there has to be a difference between Sean being there and not being there in, in, you know, in a, in a neutral season, like he had to be the difference between a couple wins uh, a season, just based on his play calling and, you know, his, his willingness to be aggressive in situations where maybe other guys aren't in, in, you know, going to those red zone plays early where a lot of other coaches are kind of like, well, I want to save this for the right situation. Like just some of Sean's gut feel. And then, like you said, his ability to kind of, so like, I remember a few years ago, I think it was 2017 or 2018, whenever they played, 2018 when they played Philadelphia in in the playoffs and uh, mm-hmm. Peter King had some type of access and he was in there as they were going through the game plan and then he wrote a story afterwards just kind of about like how Sean noticed that somebody was like a little bit ginger on one of their ankles and they just ruthlessly attacked it and and that ended up being you know a difference in one of those games like just kind of picking out some of that stuff too like it is are the other guys going to see it as well as clearly be able to execute it the same way I know Pete Carmichael um is credited with with a lot of different things that they came up with over the years, 2014, 2015, like there was this tackle overplay that he stole from somebody, put it in against the bills and they, they ended up scoring on it twice. Like some of these little wrinkles that they came up with a lot of that stuff was, was Carmichael as well. And it's just kind of tough to know exactly who he is and what his contributions are, because since 2009, like he's just cool sitting in the background and he's a lot different than a lot of people personality wise in the NFL. He's just kind of, very regular. Whereas, you know, other people have desires to move up and that leads to being attention seeking and, you know, talking about the things you do. Whereas Pete doesn't say anything. Like, I don't think anybody knows anything about him except for what other people say about him. And, you know, that, that makes it hard to know exactly what his contributions were, but it's unique that somebody that could be this close to a head coach for so long that had such an influence on the league and is so well-regarded really never had an opportunity and it's because he just, he just didn't want him. So mm-hmm. we're going to find out. I mean, even this year, like there was a, a period of like, will Pete take the job or won't he? And he had to kind of go through his process and decide if he wanted to be the sole offensive guy for this team. And ultimately he decided he wanted to, but yeah, it's tough to know like what the floor is without Sean. It, it, it's definitely a little bit lower than it used to be. I just don't know how far down it, it falls. Yeah. Where will Sean Payton be coaching in 2023, and why will it be the Dallas Cowboys? Go ahead. I mean, look honestly, if you were if you were placing a bet on it, I I think that's that's the one. It just kind of seems like it's it's been leading there forever, and it's just kind of been going on for for so long. The Miami stuff, I don't know. Like, it's weird to me that that one keeps coming up. Like, didn't they just hire a coach? I don't I don't get why that uh, that location keeps coming up. I don't understand why every story seems to leak from Miami. Like that kind of suggests that these are like dolphins based. I don't know, like being a reporter, you just kind of look at where stories come from and like wonder who's talking. It's just mm-hmm. very weird how that one's out there. But yeah, I think, I think if I were betting on a, on a futures type deal, Dallas and, you know, I, I don't think anything's going to happen in the chargers, but like if, if that one were to open up, that would be the spot I would want to go if I were Sean Payton. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Oh, yeah. We're bearing the lead here. The lead is of course, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas. Let's start with the Alvin Camara situation. Evan, why don't you go ahead? Because I know you made a move in your top mm-hmm. 150, but maybe uh, Nick can comment more on that. But Evan, why don't you start with where you're at on Camara right now? Yeah, previously was extremely cautious about Alvin Kamara. I mean, the if you go back and read the details of the alleged off-field 
allegation. Um, it's just, it, it didn't sound good, but I think that we, you know, there have, it, it just, it doesn't seem to be moving in the, the direction that Alvin Kamara is going to be suspended before the season. And I doubt anything is going to happen during the season at this point. So I had Alvin Kamara somewhere in the thirties, mid, mid to late thirties. You weren't going to get him if you were using the top 150. Um, although I did just draft him in the Scott Fishbowl in the fifth round. I was very surprised that he was still there in the fifth round. I moved him all the way up to number 18 overall last night. It's just, I don't know. I, I want to hear your take on this though, for sure, Nick. So I, I, I have questions, you know, let's just assume he plays all season. I have no idea how this one's going to turn out either. Like I was telling Adam before the show, like some people think it's going to happen. Other people don't. It's, it's kind of like stalled in the court process. I think there's a lot of, uh, wonderment like if a video were to ever come out of this yeah. like a video mm -hmm. certainly exists somewhere but like it hasn't come out yet so it doesn't seem like it's going to leak but if it does and then people kind of see like does that change the perception of it and does the league have to act quicker so there's just too many contingencies here to kind of you know go through it um but yeah if he were to play all 17 i i don't know that we're ever going to see him catch 80 passes again at right. least with this quarterback i i i would bet no it took him until mm -hmm. week six last year to really get on the same page and then they connected 10 times against Seattle, but it was like an effort to get there. And I don't think it's mm -hmm. natural for, for Jameis Winston to kind of get to his check down. He's got a big arm. He's going to look down the field. He's going to wait for things to develop. Whereas like Breeze, it was like a quick look to the left over the middle, nothing there. Okay. Off to Alvin, 81 passes every year, lock it in. It's going to be that. And I don't think you're going to get that, that production out of him in, in the passing game. I mean, I think they'll find ways to get him the ball, but I, I would, bet the heavy under on on 80 if that was mm -hmm. the line um mm -hmm. so yeah i don't i don't know that that you put him all the way up and you know losing tron armstead i i think that's going to be uh a factor in in how they run runs to the left side of the field last year were like a yard and a half lower than than they had been previously and that was without andrews pete who was a huge part of, of mm -hmm. their running game their run blocking scheme um and you know armstead was injured for a number of games too so there's just a lot of things that i could see where nothing about his game changes, but the circumstances around him change to impact his his ability to to put up the the uh, the same statistics. Yeah, that that's the that's where you can really pull coals. And let, let's just say he's he there's no suspension. You know, I, I think that we're looking at fifty five to to sixty five receptions. That's fair. A little bit lower efficiency in the running game. It has been interesting to me that they really have not done anything to add to their backfield. I mean, they've got Mark Ingram and like Tony Jones mm -hmm. behind Alvin Kamara. Does that, I mean, does that suggest confidence that he's going to not face any kind of uh, discipline from the league? I mean, it's, just, it's surprising to me that they did work out David Johnson at one point. Right. But I mean, they, they have not been aggressive in addressing their, their backfield situation behind Alvin Kamara. And I mean, I don't know what Mark Ingram has left. I mean, he's 32 years old now. They did uh, have interest in signing Sony Michelle, and then he he his he failed a physical here. So I think mm. that they've been kind of looking at it a, a little bit, and then he went and signed somewhere else like immediately after that. So it must not have been too big of a deal. But for them, they were a little bit uncomfortable with it. Um, Abram Smith, an undrafted rookie uh, out of Baylor, he had some pretty good numbers in college. That's someone they they like quite a bit. We'll we'll kind of see you know what he does. Mini camp uh, OTAs. There wasn't really anything significant but i mean those are passing camps and i think he's kind of more of a you know he's gonna make his his living running the ball so yeah there's that and then uh darius victor is supposed to be working out he 
was the USFL uh, offensive MVP. He spent some time with the Saints in 2017 in camp. But yeah, there hasn't been a significant move. I could still see them maybe picking someone up at, at some point if their information changes. But right now, yeah, I, I would agree that nothing about their actions signifies that they're panicking, worried, that that they feel like something's imminent. Last I heard about the Alvin case, he was supposed to be back on August 1st, I think. And like the expectation is that like there's just like another continuance. So as long as this goes on and it, it, the longer it plays out, the better it is for his odds of, of getting those 17 games, 60, you know, the, the whole season uh, without that suspension. But I, I do think a lot rides on that video. Like right. as long as the video doesn't leak and the fact that it hasn't yet, I think is, is significant. Um, but I don't think this case is just going to go away either. Like the the Vegas police like put out like graphics on Twitter like after they after they arrested him, which was kind of crazy. Like it kind of seems like they they don't want to you know let this go easily. I think that you know there's probably a level of like they're sick of people getting in trouble in Vegas, and this is a way to to make an example of it. So I don't think it's going to disappear. It's just a matter of the timing, and you know I, I don't know if you know there's a possibility of settling it. But even if he does, I mean the police still got to let it go and and it seems to be the feeling that that might not happen or it might be a long shot, but you never know. The longer it goes on, sometimes these things kind of soften up a little bit and, and kind of yeah. can settle. Right. So we'll see. I have a few questions on this. First, how has the video not leaked? I mean, my God, this is a video from surveillance camera in a Las Vegas hotel. How has, if you go ask for this, I assume they tell you to F off, right? No problem. But how has this not leaked somehow? I'm sure Many people would pay money for this, et cetera, et cetera. How is the video not leaked, Nick? Because I agree with you that as soon as the video leaks, the NFL is going to have to do something. I think in the NFL's perfect world, they let the criminal trial play out because that was a lot of what the new collective bargaining agreement was about, was like, hey, we need the criminal trials to play this out, not have Goodell be the judge, jury, and executioner on all these cases. So how is the video not out? And yeah, I have more questions after that. Yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, the other crazy part of this is, is like they let him play in the Pro Bowl. Like they knew this was coming and they, they were like, yeah, go play in the Pro Bowl and then arrest him afterwards. Like yeah. there's just a, a lot of a lot of weird things about it. Um, so, yeah, I have no idea. I'm, I'm shocked it hasn't come out. I've kind of, you know, I kind of as a reporter, like that's one of those things that's like in your head all the time. And I'm like waiting like every yeah. day. It's like, OK, is it going to happen? It just doesn't. So, um, you know, I guess credit to the Vegas police that they aren't leaking it, selling it to TMZ, whatever it is. Like, or the so, hotel, the hotel yeah. could, the hotel could leak it. Yeah, I mean, imagine if you had that on New Orleans football, New Orleans uh, football dot com, or I'm sorry, New Orleans dot football. I mean, you you would you would start crying. I mean, you would break the site with how many people would come to to watch the video if you could get your hands on it. I don't. I, I just want. I just want the analysis, man. I don't want the. <laughs> I don't want the videos. I'm just. <laughs> I just want to analyze the game. That's all I'm interested in. Um. Okay. Yeah, so uh, my take on on it right now, I get that there's a lot of different pieces. You know, if you have good lawyers, they can push this case and push this case and push this case and maybe push it out till after the season and then Alvin and his team can deal with it then. So yeah, we're trying to evaluate the range of outcomes in the rankings. I think when people are drafting, they need to understand that there's still a wider range of outcomes currently. Like Evan said, we're weighting it more towards him actually being able to play and play most of the season. My second question is on the backup thing. Can Mark Ingram handle a full workload? Let's say Alvin gets hurt. Let's say Alvin gets suspended. Do you think the Saints still think? Because in the past, when Alvin hasn't been out there, it's been like the Mark Ingram show. He's been one of the best plays in fantasy. At this point in his career, can Mark Ingram still handle a full workload? I thought he looked pretty 
pretty good last year. You know, I think if this were to happen earlier in the season, I, I like his odds of kind of holding it down and being productive more so than later in the season. So maybe that like that that would actually possibly be a better thing for the Saints if this happened sooner than later, just because I think they're, they're better equipped to handle it earlier in the season. But yeah, I, I think he'd do okay. I thought he actually looked good last year. I, I didn't think he looked like super washed up. Like he's not the same player he was, but I think there's still some decent mileage there for him. And I, I think he can still be effective. Um, but yeah, I think, I think he'd carry the load mostly, you know, presuming something else doesn't happen at this point. I don't think that they're super high on Tony Jones Jr. I think that, that his spot on the team is maybe a little bit tenuous right now. And he, he's going to need to prove it against some of these other guys. I do know that they like Abram Smith, but you know, that that's kind of a major projection at this point. So yeah, I think it would mostly be the Mark Ingram show, uh, early on. And, you know, I think Taysom would probably get some of those carries too. Oh, we're going to get to Taysom in a second. There's been much controversy in the ETR Slack about, about Taysom. We'll get to that um, in a second here. By the way, tell tell Pete Carmichael that Darius Victor from a USFL uh, expert, shout out to me, Darius Victor is not the running back that they want from the USFL. They want either Reggie Corbin or Mark Thompson. You can tell Pete that. Okay. You're a sick man. <laughs> um, okay. Let's go to Michael Thomas. You know, I mean, this has been going on since September of 2020. We're coming up on two years of issues, controversy, you know, tweets, all kinds of things going around with Michael Thomas's ankle. He came back for six games in 2020, plus the playoffs, I thought was, you know, not himself, then sits out all of last year. He's 29 years old now. I have concerns about Michael Thomas. I have concerns about him not playing with Drew Brees, just like I have concerns about Alvin Kamara not playing with Drew Brees. So where are you at on Michael Thomas right now, Nick? What do you think about his health and how he'll perform this year? Well, let's start at the end of that pre-injury. Um, he was he was pretty quarterback proof. His numbers with Teddy Bridgewater, with Taysom Hill, they mm-hmm. stayed pretty good. The the yards per reception, I would guess, probably went up a little bit with Taysom. There's a little bit more uh, downfield aggressiveness. And, and he was playing injured. He was on that injured ankle when he was playing with Taysom and was still effective. So... I, I'm not necessarily too worried about that. I I think he can alter his game a little bit. 2016, uh, the way he he played was a little bit different too. And that was kind of the last year. If you go through like Breeze's routes, like, okay, the out route beyond this distance and the, the effectiveness on those all changed. And then their offense became super condensed in 17. But he was making some more plays down the field outside the numbers a little bit. So I think that he can tailor his game a little bit to do some different things. Obviously, you still want the slants, the crossing routes, and all that stuff as part of the offense. But I think I think there's a little bit more there that that he can do. So if he's healthy, I expect him to to still be good. Again, it, it's not go going back to the Alvin statement. Like I don't think that we see Mike at the same numbers that he was before. I mm-hmm. think his skill set was just uniquely perfect to where Breeze was, and it was just a perfect marriage. But I still think that you know if he's ninety percent or better, I, I would guess 1100 1200 yards I, I think he's still that type of player i just don't think it's best of all time type numbers anymore um is as far as his health you know some of the stuff that we're seeing in these videos I, I think you do see like a steady progression i think the important thing about the videos more so than what you're seeing is that he's putting them out which means that he's feeling good about where he's at where he's going with his his rehab that there's a confidence in his ability to do different things and you know i'm not gonna put like a date on it or like report anything here but everything that i'm hearing if he isn't ready to practice like somewhere early in that training camp window i think it would be a surprise to a lot of people uh attached to the team 
Okay. Yeah. And I mean, tar competition has increased too. I mean, they used to be pretty thin and now Alave and Jarvis Landry are there as well. Evan, any, you want to ask Nick anything about um, Michael Thomas and where are you at with Michael Thomas right now in, in terms of your rankings, Evan? Yeah. I mean, he's kind of in a state of limbo. Um, I don't know. The 11 to 1200 yard, you know, prediction is, is, would, would, is pretty aggressive, Nick. Um, you know, but I know you that think so? if he's healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, beat writers aren't always the best statistical uh, prognosticators, <laughs> sure. but um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing you. You're, 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 you're awesome at, at what you do. But I, yeah, I, I was just going to say the thing about the target competition because, you know, back in the day, in his heyday, what, 2019, um, you know, his, his target share within the offense was just immense. Even if you go back to – and I know that he, he seemed quarterback-proof with Teddy Bridgewater, but, I mean, T- Teddy Bridgewater was just – I mean, he was, he was getting, like, you know, half the targets each game almost. You know, it was him and Kamara and then, like, not a whole lot else, right? Yeah. So – now that they have, you know, they used to, I mean, they they gave up a ton to go get Chris Olave. Um, Jarvis Landry has been a target hog really throughout his career. So I I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, you know, Nick just, pa- on it. Nick, Nick just painted the positive picture and I just painted the negative picture. And that to me kind of explains why he's in a state of limbo. You know, one day I'm like, ah, should I move him up? Ah, should I, you know, leave him pretty low? I mean... Well, I think we need to see it. I mean, I, you yeah. know, I, I'm kind of speaking through it. Like if he, if he's 90% or better, mm-hmm. like I, I still have a, I have a lot of confidence in his ability to to still get open, make plays and do that. Cause like he was playing hurt the last time we saw him and, and he was still putting up decent numbers with a guy that's now a tight end. So, I mean, yeah. I think that, that if you get a quarterback, that's okay. But yeah, I mean, I think the floor on this is, is scary too. Cause we don't know that he, it's been two years. We have no idea yeah. what he's going to look like. That ankle's been messed up. And his game isn't like based on speed or anything. Like he gets separation mm-hmm. through like the violence of his of his change in mm-hmm. direction, and mm-hmm. he's got to show that. So I think, mm-hmm. I think there is a lot of if here, but you know, I I do think that people kind of forget how good he was uh, yeah. when he when he played, and there isn't a guarantee that's completely gone either. So I think I think we just need to see him at this point. But I would be interested to know if you think you think twelve hundred is too high. Like what's What's the number? If eleven hundred is too high, like which are you at like eight hundred? Like which what are you thinking? I, I, I think you do well to get to a thousand. Okay. Yeah. I mean, is he gonna riff with Jameis too? I mean, we, we haven't seen them together. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but but you mentioned that tight end the, that used to play quarterback, <laughs> Taysom Hill. I want to hear your thoughts on him because I have had taken an optimistic stance on him in fantasy because at the tight end, like the tight end position sucks in fantasy. You've got like four or five really good guys, a bunch of guys you hope might be okay. And, you know, then you're, you're digging into like Taysom Hill yeah. and uh, Taysom Hill, you can build a case. So, so, you know, from that standpoint, I'm like, all right, let, let's build an optimistic case for Taysom Hill. Michael Thomas comes back. He's not the same. Alvin Kamara maybe gets suspended. They need a means of generating offense. Adam Troutman has not really stepped forward as a pass catcher. You know, could they end up relying on Taysom? Could he get like some goal line carries? Could he catch 40 passes? Could he, you know, throw a couple of touchdown passes? All of a sudden, he's like a top 10 fantasy tight end. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah. You know, all, all the stuff like people, oh, he's, he's just going to be a tight end in the quarter. Like, I don't think it's completely over back. Like, I think they're still going to do some of those, those designed runs for him. I think there's going to be goal line stuff. It would be stupid to get rid of all these things that actually worked with him. I think that that Peyton did a little bit too much with him. I think 
some of those uh, criticisms are fair, but there's a lot of stuff that Taysom did well getting the ball snapped direct, directly to him that I, I don't think should go away. And I think that'll that'll remain part of the DNA of this offense. And I actually wouldn't be surprised if they're like too far away from it early because they want to kind of separate from, you know, this this kind of like identity. But I think at some point in the season, there's going to be a shift back to to having him do some of those things and, and it'll be part of the offense. Um, But yeah, I mean, he, he's in the tight end room. It's the first time in his career that, that he's practicing, well, will be practicing as something other than a quarterback. Um, he's never been in those meeting rooms before. He's never prepared for a season as a, you know, anything other than a quarterback. So I think, you know, some of the stuff we've seen him do as a, as a receiver, as a blocker, like that's just instinct based off of his view of how things looked at quarterback. Like now he's actually kind of like understanding why and how and getting the technique of it. You know, the Liz Frank injury, I think it, he hasn't practiced yet. So I think there's, there's still some distance to go, with that, but I think that there's a chance, you know, I, I don't know what it's exactly going to look like. Cause we haven't seen him full time in this type of role, but like he does block well. So that means that he's going to get some snaps there. Like that alone is going to get him on the field. I think he blocks better than Jawan Johnson. Um, you know, Troutman's a, a decent blocker, the receiving stuff, like you said, it, it has some distance to go. Like, I, I think that position's wide open. Lucas Kroll's uh, another guy they have here on drafted player that that's looked okay. So he's maybe some competition, but if Taysom's good and his athleticism translates, like it probably should to that position, like there's a chance that, that he could be pretty solid at, at, at tight end. And I think he's definitely somebody worth keeping an eye on as, as a potential upside type of player. Do the people in the Saints, like, are they okay with the Taysom contract? When, when they gave Taysom that contract, that's like, was such a loaded question. <laughs> everybody was laughing around. Everybody was laughing at this contract around around Twitter, and I, I don't know. But I, you talk to people in the league. Was this just like Sean Payton going rogue? And do they feel any obligation to like actually play Taysom now because he's making so much money? I mean, I believe it was like twenty one million guaranteed or, or something like that in the deal. Uh, how do people in the Saints think about Taysom's contract now? So his contract was was kind of based on Austin Hooper's. So like when they signed him to it, they were looking at him as like a, you know, that, that level, of, a tight end. And then there's like upside built into it uh, for if he were to ever to be quarterback and become good at quarterback. You know, I think that, that the feeling is that, that Sean Payton, you know, that, that was his guy. Like, I think that, that without him, maybe things don't look necessarily the same. I don't think that people hate it as much as people outside of the building. I think that there's generally a pretty good opinion to Taysom Hill in, inside the Saints facility. But yeah, Sean definitely, I think, took care of him on his on his way out the door. I think that's probably an accurate way to to look at it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that they feel saddled by it. I don't, you know, the other thing with this organization, like I don't think they feel obligated to do anything based on money, draft position, anything else like that. I think they're kind of set up really unique, um, you know, that their owner kind of just trust everything that's going on. I don't feel like anybody in this building really feels like they're on the hot seat or oh, if we miss this draft pick, like things are going to like, th there's a runway to build the team. There's trust. There's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, accrued goodwill throughout the year. So I don't think they feel, you know, any, any pressure toward that. Like to, to that extent, like if Trevor Penning isn't ready, like they they've already decided like they're a hundred percent comfortable keeping their first round pick on the bench and playing James Hurst. And, you know, they, they just don't really operate with those same kind of pressures that I think other teams do where, where the owners kind of, you know, got people on, on pins and needles a little bit. Yeah. 
That's why they call it the Big Easy. Yeah, <laughs> you got you guys they outlined the. Games, yep. You guys uh, outlined kind of the the bull case for Taysom. The bear case for me is, I mean, he's coming off of Liz Frank. His biggest fan is gone, and he's trying to play a position he's never played before. Yep. You know, and so and and in fantasy, like he's like free. You know, so it's not it's not like there's a lot of opportunity cost in like the 18th yeah. round or wherever he goes. But I, you know, to me, like Irv Smith in the 14th round or Taysom in the 18th round, it's like an absolute no brainer. I'd rather have Irv, but but yeah. Okay. Um, any other Saints questions? I have one more kind of beat writing question, Evan, but do you have any more Saints questions for Nick? I think we covered all the big ones. Okay. Yeah. So we see stuff all the time this time of year, Nick, like, you know, uh, Ian Rapport reporting on J.K. Dobbins injury and, and all kinds of stuff like that. How does this, if you could give some insight into how kind of injury reporting around the NFL works, because so much right now is people trying to figure out Guys who got hurt last year, when are they coming? When's Chris Godwin coming back? When's Michael Gallup coming back? When's J.K. Dobbins coming back? Um, are agents leaking this to national reporters? Or how, how is this, what's the information flow like on NFL injuries, I guess, before the season and then in season two? Because that's just such a big part of fantasy. So I think it's, it's everybody, you know, it, it, and people kind of give out little little nuggets to build currency so that you get tell them what you know. And, you know, there, there's kind of a give and take with that whole process. The thing with injuries this time of year, like like I hedged the whole Mike Thomas thing because everything everybody tells you about an injury this time of year is extremely optimistic. Oh, he's going to be fine. He's going to be out there at this time. He's mm-hmm. going to be there. They like in half the time those things don't come to fruition and it ends up being, you know, the guy that someone tells you, Oh, he's going to be ready day one. And then day one comes and he's on the pup list. And it's just like, all right, what the hell? So you kind of got to be careful uh, this time of year with, with how things go on, you know, during the season, I would say that more of the leaks are not team based because the team is more protective of uh, their game plan and they don't want the opponent to know kind of what's going on. And you're giving up an edge on some of that stuff. So that's more on the periphery and, you know, sometimes that periphery information is a little bit more accurate uh, on those types of things than the stuff coming directly from the building. So, it, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's kind of everywhere. And, you know, if, if you kind of watch people and you kind of watch their relationships, you can kind of get an idea of, you know, where things are coming from and, and, and things like that. So, um, you know, as a fantasy player, like, I, I think you kind of, you know, I play fantasy. So like, I kind of like study the reporters too. So I know who to trust and not to trust. And mm-hmm. you kind of get a feel for, for maybe, you know, where some of my stuff's coming from. And if you can establish, there's like a certain type of relationship in certain areas, like some guys have just a certain player on lock and it's just like, okay, like I can tell he's tied in with this wide receivers camp and, and everything he says is solid. So, you know, I think those things are uh, as important as anything. And, you know, locally during the season, I think, maybe people like us that cover teams uh, maybe sometimes might have a little bit of a better beat on where people are at, like in their rehab and stuff like that. Nick, Nick is a rap sheet guy, by the way. Yeah. That's my guy, man. Yeah. Ian's 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 a one in my book. Yeah. I, I, I met him at the combine. He was so nice to me. He was like, so cool. Introduced me to, he was hanging out with uh, at the bar with Eric Burkhart who repped uh, Kyler Murray. That was the year that Kyler Murray, I uh, was going number one and uh rap sheet was like, so, so nice to me and introduced me to him. And it was, it was, it was cool. Yeah. Uh, my take on the injury stuff this time of year is like, why, why would a team or an agent be optimistic in the press? Right. Because like, let's say you're, you're JK Dobbins agent. Wouldn't you rather your guy be like, well, we don't know if he's gonna be ready for week one. And then 
if he's ready for week one, he looks like a, a hero. He worked so hard. He's ready. Instead of putting all the pressure on the kid by saying, oh, he's going to be out there week one. Like why? And then, and then he only looks bad. There's only downside outcomes. He looks bad if he's not ready for week one. You know what I'm saying? I think the, the, you got to put yourself in the mindset of like all these people and they're ultra competitive and like, they don't want to admit that there's any possibility of losing. And I think like even agents are, are kind of wired that way. And team people are wired that way. Like these are all people that have like absurd belief in everything. And they just kind of have to exist in that place of like optimism where I, you know, I'm, I'm generally pessimistic about some of these things and realistic and like, I just think that that just the way they're wired and you just kind of have to like, you know, if it's that far away, oh, he's going to be good. And then it's like, they're not. So right. I, I've just, like I said, I, I've learned over the years that like, I got to hedge some of this stuff and you, you take it and you say, okay, I'm hearing good things instead of saying he's going to be ready week one. Cause then I look like shit if right. he's not out there week one. So you kind of got to, you got to be careful with it and just, okay, things are trending in the right direction. Probably means somebody told somebody, oh, he's going to be good to go. But like that person's right. smart enough to to not come out and say it and put themselves on the line like that. Right. Makes perfect sense. All right. This was awesome. Nick, we learned a lot. Tell the people where they can find you on social, where they can find your work. Yeah. I, I feel like everybody knows because I get hit up by ETR people all day long, <laughs> uh, but I'm on Twitter at Nick underscore Underhill. And my website is Football. If you like the Saints, uh, sign up for the site. I promise that you will like our coverage. Yes, we we need a, a Nick uh, on every team so that we can have them on speed dial to answer our yeah. questions. But that is a long-term goal we have uh, for sure. But yeah, we appreciate Nick letting us badger him with questions all the time. Thanks so much for being here, Nick. Yeah, appreciate for, you guys. For Evan, for producer Luke, for Nick, I'm Adam. Good luck everybody.